Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 185 for Monday, March 21st, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelriffs, and joining me as always is Vroom Vroom, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if you would like to hear us talk about uh, vehicles, specifically electric hybrid and time travel vehicles, then you should listen to The Render Distance. That is the extended version of the podcast that is available to our patrons. You can become one of those patrons at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and uh, i want to point out that this week is one of the patreon rewards that we've unlocked it's the chunk mail dispenser which means that we forego the main discussion and try to pile in as much email as we can as well as the announcement of the monthly minecraft hangout coming up this saturday march 26th uh, that is going to be for all the patrons in our Discord. Time for that specifically will be determined between now and Saturday. Keep an eye on the Discord announcements channel for that. Well, I'm really looking forward to that, actually, because our last one, which should still be available on the Patreon RSS feed if you are newer to the show, really good fun. And we've archived the chat there so that people can go back and read along. Um, but we'll probably be doing the same kind of thing and, and splitting up the chat so that you can clearly see where this month's Hangout starts to take place and you can kind of follow along with screenshots that people are posting in there. It's a really good time. So highly recommend if you're thinking about uh, pulling the trigger on that Patreon support, then please do. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week, my friend? It's been a mixed week. I've <laughs> I've started what I'm thinking of as eclectic mechanics week in the Minecraft survival guide because like I, I don't really have a category to put all of this stuff into, but I want to explore some of the stuff that feels a little bit off the beaten path before I go back into the stuff that everybody feels like they have to do in a survival world, like fighting the wither, getting a beacon set up, mining out all that cobblestone, that kind of thing. And before we sort of progress onto larger projects in the series, there are definitely a few things that are minor enough that I feel like I should cover them. Um, speaking of mining, though, for a start, I mined out all of the ores in a chunk in the mountains. I think I was talking about that last week, but I completed that project, went through side by side with the ore distribution graphic, got a look at where some of the different veins were. And obviously, with it being a single chunk sample size, I wasn't exactly going to draw any massive conclusions. But what I'm finding is that a lot of the time when people are looking for diamonds, they're looking for them as low down as possible at the bottom of the world. It's not, strictly speaking, going to turn up the most diamonds the majority of the time, because the chunk I had had a pretty even amount of distribution of diamonds between negative 30 and negative 60. So I'm finding some of those interesting conclusions are being drawn where, you know, if I mined through this chunk, I would have found fewer diamonds if I'd been as low down as possible compared to if I was maybe 30 blocks or so higher up which is a, a fun thing to wave under the noses of everybody on YouTube who's been insisting that, like, the only way to find diamonds is by mining through, like, solid rock for however long. Like, the, the caving approach still works pretty well for me, and I'm sure it will for, for other people too. I'm seeing that as well. A lot of, like, what's the new diamond level? And people either not knowing, having an answer... Uh, and I think like, it sounds like it's a good place to start, but when I look it up against that graphic, like it doesn't seem to make sense to stay at a specific level. Uh, I wonder if things like branch mining are going to unfold and become more of, instead of like a one level branch mine, you're going to create like a multi-level branch mine between, like you said, like the bottom of the world and like Y level 30 and just create like a bunch of different floors and kind of go that way. I wonder if that will be the, the better way of the future. It could be. It, it's an ever-evolving discipline anyway, and I think it's, yeah, the kind of thing that 
from what I understand, the ore distribution graphic that we've seen was generated from the game's code, so it's still generating more veins of diamond as it goes further down into the world. That seems to be the general idea, but that also doesn't necessarily dictate what those veins of diamonds look like, because they could just be veins of one or two, or they could be whole veins of eight in those giant clusters that we sometimes get. And the ore distribution graphic doesn't necessarily take that into account from what I've been told. Uh, so yeah, potentially, even if you're finding lots of veins of diamonds, they could provide fewer actual ore blocks than the veins of diamond that you're finding even further up in the world. So <laughs> in terms of like sheer numbers of diamonds output, it, it might be a, a different experience. But anyway, the one thing you can't get mining that far down is a ton of gold. And I decided to kind of round off my discussion of ore distribution. I'd go out to a Badlands, get a bunch of extra gold from there. What am I going to do with all of this extra gold? I built a piglin bartering farm. So decided that I should probably do that manually before getting into, okay, we need to go up to the nether roof to make a gold farm and all of that kind of stuff, right? Which I'll eventually get into simply because it's faster than the approach I know you've taken and building one in the, the interior yeah. cavern of the nether. Um, and I started by building this bartering farm on a diagonal because I wanted it to decorate one of my tunnels that's going out to my other projects through the nether. And what I found was because the piglins were basically on diagonal spaces all the way down the line, there wasn't really like a, a block in between them in that sense. They were all encased in individual glass booths, but the dispensers were firing stuff down. And because they were able to interact diagonally, some of them were stealing each other's gold through the corners. <laughs> so so those those greedy piglins and their, their lust for gold was kind of ruining the, the you know efficiency of the farm because there was one piglin who kept getting skipped every single time. Um, and I think I might have been able to position them a little bit better, align them properly with hoppers so they would stand in the center of the hopper instead of like up on one side and that would mean that the gold got to all of them at the same time. But that seemed like a lot of work so I ended up just straightening it out making it a straight design with a block in between each of them and uh, that one worked obviously a lot better I built that kind of farm before I just wanted to try something different in terms of a, a design element but that's now in place going out towards the nether fortress um, so along with all of the kind of obsidian and quartz and stuff that I'm farming I can just run straight through to where the blaze spawner is get a bunch of blaze rods come back through with all of the stuff I need for you know potion brewing and whatever else um, I've added storage filters to that now as well, so that's looking pretty nice. Um, did all of that on a stream because it's the kind of thing that I've already <laughs> I've already explained how storage filters work in the series. So you know, doing a redux of that didn't seem like it was the right sort of time. And then I went out and found a mushroom island, uh, mostly because I knew where one was and I wanted to explain a little bit more of of that stuff. Grab some mycelium, which was a dirt type that I hadn't really explained on camera yet. And while I was there. Uh, you know, exploring the usual kind of, you can milk a mushroom, you can get mushroom stew from it, they turn into cows if you shear them, all of that kind of stuff. I was waiting to demonstrate that phantoms will still spawn there because they're the only hostile mob that really appears around that area. And uh, a skeleton horse arrived <laughs> because uh, a, a thunderstorm had happened while I was editing the video. I came back and there was a skeleton horse hanging around. So from there I decided, okay, I need to start exploring all of the stuff to do with lightning strikes, skeleton horse traps, mobs that transform on a lightning strike. I brought a mushroom back to my spawn area and turned it into a brown mushroom. And I'm finding that so much easier to do with lightning rods because it 
eliminates the problem of having to go out and get a trident with channeling and you know having the mob stay still while you throw stuff at it you know it's and and, and potentially damaging it with the trident you can you can eliminate all of those possibilities by just having a lightning rod nearby a large group of mobs so i've done that with uh, a creeper to get a charge creeper a brown mushroom i've turned a villager into a witch i think yeah we, we did um oxidized copper turning back into regular copper if it gets struck by lightning and turning a pig into a zombie pig man uh thanks to the the cub fan video that everyone keeps reminding me about i've also turned a turtle into a wooden bowl which is what happens when turtles get struck by lightning but the other problem is the lightning <laughs> immediately destroys the wooden bowl because it destroys all of the item entities in a certain radius of the lightning strike so <laughs> the, the 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 wooden bowl existed for like a fraction of a second and i had to go through my video frame by frame to find where it was before it was then immediately deleted from the world so thanks mojang <laughs> um i didn't want that wooden bowl anyway something i've not bothered with much is wooden bowls uh and soup and all that kind of stuff because they don't yeah. stack so yeah. they're not mm -hmm. super efficient right um uh, and i and the the suspicious stew stuff i you know it, it's it's neat but like it doesn't last long enough for for, for me to find it interesting yeah so totally I, I don't have a use for it um there was something in the modded playthrough i i experienced a while ago which was a wooden bucket was just a faster way to use use buckets if you didn't find iron right away, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of cool and useful. There was um, there was a there's some sort of trick to it though. Like it wasn't uh, it worked just like a regular bucket, but there was something about it. I think it was maybe that it required logs instead of planks or something. So it was more mm -hmm. expensive than you would first anticipate. Yeah, but. you can you can see it being a wooden bucket that you can pick up water but not pick up lava or something like that, right? Because the yeah, the, that's what it was. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's what it was. Yeah, there was there was those restrictions on it. Um, by the time I needed lava, I think I had iron anyway. Um, but yeah, the, uh, that or it was either that or it had um, it had uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it it wore down like it had a, a hit a point. durability right durability. Yeah. Jeez, Monday morning, folks. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, like it had durability, and as Cosmic I think is pointing out in our chat, uh, we don't. I don't think it worked in dispensers or droppers. Like you right, had to use yeah, an iron yeah. bucket for that for automation, but for yeah. just to have one for water at your side, you could use wood, which I thought was cool. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's, there's so many mechanics in this game. Like, I'm, I'm not surprised oh, we're, like, yeah. forgetting words at this point. Cause, <laughs> like, I, I have to keep being reminded of stuff like that so that I can make episodes about it for YouTube. And then somebody else in the video comments tells me, oh, you forgot about this one particular thing that's, like, you know, this this specific use case of something. And I go, dang it, like, there's there's too much stuff in this game. We've, we've said it before, but it's, uh, yeah, de yeah, definitely the case, I think, at this point. It's funny that you mentioned the um, the skeletal horseman because that happened to me at the start of one of my streams last week. Like oh, it really? was, I was like, "Hey, everybody! My name is Joel Duggan, and welcome to the Karakatoom!" And it was just like, "Oh my god!" Right welcome in front to of the me. four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. I mean, it's it's there's something in the air. Apparently, like everyone's getting the skeleton horses back now. It's yeah. spring or something. I don't know. It's like the rain in Minecraft. It's like <laughs> yeah. it just it's statistically more than likely to happen because it rains every 10 minutes. Yeah, and um, I found it was a much more pleasant experience waiting for a thunderstorm to happen this time around because I knew that by sleeping I wasn't going to reset the weather cycle and so this is the right. one time where the, the you know the increase in rain the fact that we can't skip the weather cycle just by sleeping on a normal day it actually plays to my benefit because I didn't have to I have to wait like 
I think it was two rainstorms and the second one worsened into a thunderstorm rather than it having to be like, okay, I've got to wait around through several nights. I've just got to like box myself in somewhere to make sure mobs don't find me. I was up a piece of scaffolding sleeping every time it got dark and as long as it wasn't raining, I was fine. So yeah, generally I found that a much more pleasant experience, although yeah, you still have to wait around a little bit for a thunderstorm to happen to begin with. I want them now because it means I can sleep through the rain on stream. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and get back to being able to see what I'm doing. Uh, I really miss the dynamic lighting of Optifine. That's the one thing that I think I miss. I've, I feel like performance with Sodium and Iris and everything is about the same. Actually, Sodium and Iris, you can switch shaders like lightning fast. This mm -hmm. It takes as long as it takes to reload chunks. Uh, whereas Optifine, it was always like that kind of like black screen of like loading yeah, to switch yeah. um, shaders. Um, but the one thing that I've found quite laggy for me is adding a fabric mod that then adds the dynamic lighting to like lanterns in your hand or a torch in your hand. And I used to use that all the time, specifically when I was in the nether, but also at any point you're out um, a little bit weird that you can have a lit torch underwater, but like it, it would light the screen. So at least the stream would be able to see what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, that doesn't happen now. And I, I miss it. I, I miss it in, in a way I miss it for like clarity and seeing what I'm doing. I like it in that when I'm lighting up, a room with candles or something like that i'm only seeing the light that's actually placed down so that's good mm -hmm. yeah that's the thing i i can never quite get around with dynamic lighting is not knowing where the dark areas are if i'm holding a torch in my hand going to like yeah. light up an area i immediately go wait where was that dark area a second ago <laughs> like i i often forget that that dynamic lighting does stuff like that so that's that's usually my excuse is wanting to know where the light is more permanently um, so have you had a lot to light up on the Citadel this week? Have you been doing more more building in Lowtown? Have definitely been doing a lot of interior stuff. Uh, Lowtown has now been, I think, pretty much completed on the West Bank. Uh, added a couple of small like farmhouses with like their own pig pens and their own little vegetable garden out back. Uh, a couple of larger builds on the on the the area that's closer to the river where we had. Uh, a guard tower to guard the river. We had a um, like a boat shed, a boat house. Uh, really cool, you know, opportunities to put like a boat on the floor and then a boat up on a trapdoor shelf, which was really cool. And then try not to move them for the rest of the stream because <laughs> yeah. they're in the right spot. But then, of course, as soon as you bump them, they just they slide all over the place. Um, so the interior designs there were really fun. Some challenging design for the roofs, trying to make sure that everything just doesn't look like a bunch of spruce stairs everywhere. Uh, had a fun thatch roof on the barn, which the barn we made was just like a, it's like a wood storage, like a log, you know, just stuff like that. I'm I'm actually really happy with the, the wharf and the muddy area that I made with, mm. uh, even though mud's not in the game yet, <laughs> I used like terracotta, <laughs> soul soil, soul sand, and a little bit of um, brown concrete powder just to kind of make it look like there might be like a spot where like the river would be shallow and people would either bring boat boats up on the shore or there's just a lot of foot traffic, that kind of stuff. So that was really fun. Um, and then it's nothing to really look at, but we've started work on the east side of Lowtown on the other side of the main square. And so that's just a bunch of like boxes and temporary roofs. And I've got one tower that I like the position of, and I don't know whether it's going to be like a food silo or maybe some other kind of like guard tower, but I've tried about six different versions of the roof all of them are kicking my butt. So I just, I need to like walk away and come back to it later um, and, and figure out what's going on. But I'm, I'm really feeling that I have like a good scale 
in my head now for like when I want to put an alleyway between two houses, like one is really tight, one and a half or one that expands into two quickly looks great. Three is too wide. Mm -hmm. So like I'm trying to like space out my builds and trying to like make them feel crowded, but also not feel like you're going to smack your head off of like stair blocks as you walk down between two houses. Because the way that roofs get low in this area and the way that I do like um, overhangs on roofs, if it's the wrong height, it looks like it's going to decapitate you as you go by. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. if you even if you can walk underneath it, it looks very menacing having this thing kind of go straight at the top of your screen. So I'm trying to balance all that. And I feel like I've got a decent handle on it. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, I really like those detail passes where you can add in like bushes and grass and little fence posts and all that kind of stuff that make the area feel lived in. Um, mm -hmm. I like the fact that you can put uh, grass on coarse dirt so it, you don't have to have like a bright green patch. You can still have a little bit of greenery without it being overpowering. So that kind of stuff was nice. I like the fact that you've got the beetroot garden out the back of one of those. I assume that's beetroot Thanks. at least. unless you It is. It's a, it. custom, it's, it's a custom texture for beetroot. It, I looked up what beetroot looked like and I was like, wow, that looks nothing like what's in Minecraft. So <laughs> yeah. I changed it. But um, um, and, uh, I, I, I like the idea of like the, the poorer side of town kind of having to subsist on that kind of stuff and not having like some of the fancier foods, not like, you know, having the, the cattle market kind of thing. Like they've they've got a little bit more stuff that they have to grow and be self-sustainable if they can't afford to, you know, go out and buy the freshest stuff at the market kind of thing. So exactly. It, it makes sense to have that be part of the aesthetic. Also looks like there's just a bunch of stuff growing up around it. And, you know, there's 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 a lot to be said for that. And and for changing transitioning the kind of more organized stone pathways of the city into dirt like and and only having stone in areas where it's clear there's going to be a lot of foot traffic like very central areas really sells the idea of it being a like a, a less advantaged part of town you know what i mean like there's mm -hmm. that it, it's so clear the the class divide that's happening there so i think that's that's really well illustrated Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I'm I'm not sure about the main roads. There's a couple of main drags I might add a little bit more stone to, but definitely anything between the houses and close to the river, it's either a wood wharf or dirt because that just makes sense. Like I can't see these things being paved. Um, the trick that I like to use is like back back alleys that might get muddy. I like to put down the odd piece of plank or or trapdoor because it mm -hmm. looks like you know when people lay planks down so you don't sink into the mud it's yeah, not yeah. really a road it's just kind of meant to like i'm tired of getting dirty <laughs> so i'm gonna yeah, put yeah, down a just couple like of wood off cuts and stuff yeah just yeah been used to, exactly. to make this place a little bit more walkable uh and then on sunday uh i had a creative stream which is not something i do very often uh we've been doing it sometimes with snapshots which is what we did for this but this was actually because of some fantastic support over the month uh we had a, a target of like uh unlocking a creative building q a so the community and i hung out and they were asking questions about how i address different aspects of builds usually it was about like color theory or tone versus hue um how to like divide up big chunks of areas like stuff like that and it was really fun because rather than just like talking and hoping i'm talking about things that people wanted to know i had a ream of questions from people in my discord that couldn't make it so they wanted to ask questions ahead of time so i always had something to fall back on plus there was a live audience of people saying like actually like how would you address um something like you know one of the new blocks in 119 which i'll save my thoughts on that for our new segment but um it was really fun it was really fun to do the creative stuff uh i do find because of the I don't want to say a hectic nature of streams like that, but all of a sudden, like, I don't have to go for gathering items. I don't have to, like, I'm not sitting back and looking at something and trying to make it perfect. What I'm doing is just illustrating um, technique right away with the blocks in my hand. 
And I did find that I was moving around very quickly and I found that the slidey nature of of creative mode was a lot to get used to again, where I'm so used to survival and so used to like using scaffolding and all that kind of stuff. Um, also, you get really hung up on looking down at things yeah. from from creative mode. And then people were asking in that, you know, uh, I think even Cosmic brought it up. It's like, so I guess a lot of that has to do with perspective. And I was like, absolutely. Like here I am flying around noodling with the details of this roof. And I said, watch this. And I went and stood in the ground. You can't see it. You can't yeah. see what I just spent 30 seconds trying to decide what block looked good. Like you can't see it from down here. So unless you're going to be up high looking down at these things, then don't spend too much time, you know, racking your brain about the perfect block for the top of your build. Um, so it was fun. It was fun to kind of have that outlet and see the kind of things that I sometimes take for granted as an artist when I'm building in Minecraft. And I think the two biggest questions I had um, were about things like tonal shifts, color theory, and tangents, which is very difficult to explain in a podcast, but like geometric tangents and visual tangents are things that drives me nuts in artwork. And mm -hmm. so I avoid them in Minecraft. And I've had people like, say like, I think I understand what it is now, but like, how do you avoid it? And it's like, you just have to spot it and like move stuff. <laughs> like yeah, just... it's, it's all about how like lines intersect in stuff yeah. and like, yeah, stuff ob obscuring it so you can't quite see the perspective of what you're looking at behind something. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's, it's really difficult to put into words, but I understand the concept pretty well. Yeah, but, and that's why I work in wireframes so much is because like if I build something and realize that the roof of it lines up exactly with the wall, a hundred blocks behind it, I need to drop it by a block or raise it by a block. And if I've mm -hmm. only done a wireframe, 10 seconds, like it's not, yeah. not a hard change, you know, but when you've built something entirely and realize crap, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it, li it lines up and it's causing a problem for me. Like oh, I'm going to move the whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing you see people exploiting though for perspective tricks. Like whenever people do like those yeah. MC Escher illusion builds where it looks mm -hmm. like a waterfall is coming down over a section that it shouldn't be because there's a river flowing up to it around this thing. And usually there's like a join somewhere that they're obscuring and they built one section three blocks wide and the section behind it is four blocks wide. Good perspective kind of works on it that way. So it's kind of fun. Um, I've also spent a bit of time looking at some of the snapshot blocks so we should probably roll straight into the news so that we can actually talk about some of this because there's a lot to talk about uh starting off with minecraft java edition snapshot 22 w11a our first snapshot for the wild update if you don't count the experimental snapshot including the warden and the deep dark so new features in 22w11a include the deep dark biome, skulk, skulk veins, skulk shriekers, and skulk catalysts. Frogs and tadpoles have been added, along with mangrove blocks, but not the biome yet, mud and mud brick blocks, and a 3D directional audio option. We'll have a bit more on that in a second. But first of all, the deep dark biome has been added and looks a little different to how it was in the experimental snapshot. The floor of the deep dark is covered in skulk, as are some of the walls and even some of the ceilings, as I discovered. Uh, no mobs spawn in the deep dark, it's just the biome right now. No ancient cities, no warden, but presumably that stuff will be coming once it's been worked on a little bit more. Frogs have been added, which we know from the bedrock edition betas. They can jump, swim, or walk on land. Frogs can croak. They eat small slimes, which causes a slime ball to drop, or they eat small magma cubes which causes a frog light block to drop each frog variant drops a specific color of frog light which are a light source block they can be bred with slime balls frogs not the frog lights at which point they walk to the water's edge to lay frog spawn 
Once frog spawn hatches, it turns into a tadpole, which can swim in water. If you put them on land, they jump around like fish do and eventually die, so you've got to wait for them to grow up into a frog before they can be fully amphibious. Tadpoles grow into a different type of frog based on the biome they are born in, so that's cold, temperate, or warm, and tadpoles can be caught in a bucket. Mangrove wood has been introduced, but as I mentioned, the mangrove biome and mangrove trees will be arriving in a future snapshot. In the meantime, this snapshot introduces the mangrove log and stripped mangrove log, the six-sided mangrove wood and stripped mangrove wood, mangrove roots and muddy mangrove roots, and then planks, boats, buttons, pressure plates, doors, trapdoors, signs, slabs, fence gates, fences, and stairs. There are also mangrove leaves and propagules. A mangrove propagule is the sapling that grows from the bottom of mangrove leaves. Bone mealing mangrove leaves causes a new propagule to start growing beneath it. They grow through four stages, which you can accelerate using bone meal, and then you can break off a fully grown propagule and plant it like a sapling. For now, they just grow into oak trees, but they will uh, grow into a mangrove tree when mangrove trees are actually finalized. Moving on to mud, mud is a block that generates in the upcoming mangrove biome. When walking on mud, entities sink down a little bit. It's like soul sand, but without the slowdown. Mud can be created by using a water bottle and dirt, uh, either by hand or with a dispenser, so it can be automated. Packed mud can be crafted from one mud and one wheat. Mud bricks are a building block that can be crafted from packed mud, and mud bricks can be crafted into stairs, walls, and slabs using a crafting table or a stone cutter. So the skulk blocks, veins, catalysts, sensors, and shriekers have all been added along with the deep dark biome. The effective tool for all of these blocks is a hoe, and silk touch is required to actually obtain them. Without silk touch, most of them drop XP when mined. The rest of the skulk mechanics seem largely the same as we've covered in recent experimental snapshots and bedrock betas, with the exception, of course, of the warden not showing up if you activate a skulk shrieker. Uh, 3D directional audio has been added, which adds a sound option for 3D directional audio simulation, best experienced with headphones. There are a good handful of technical changes in this update as well, including the data pack format now being 10, the resource pack format now being 9, so make sure you've updated those if you're making uh, data packs or resource packs. They've added 3D blending, so terrain blending now works for underground biomes, the lush caves and dripstone caves as well. There is a new font glyph provider for spaces, so you can start to include spaces and things. Uh, added estimated GPU utilization percentage to performance profiling metrics and the F3 debug screen. Uh, it's only available for graphics devices that support GPU timer queries, but can help you understand how your computer is using the resources it's using when you're playing Minecraft. They've also added the ability for data and resource packs to selectively hide files from packs below them. I assume this is something to do with compatibility between them, but not necessarily my department. Uh, world presets and types and flat world presets in the Create World screen can now be controlled by data packs, so lots of custom worlds can start to appear there. They've also added the server property max change neighbor updates to limit the amount of consecutive neighbor updates before skipping additional ones. Negative values remove the limit. No idea what any of that means. And much more detailed information on some of these is available from the changelog at minecraft.net. So head on over there if that sounds like your thing. In the Bedrock, uh, Minecraft Bedrock Edition Beta Preview 1.18.30.26-27 have been made available. That's at feedback.minecraft.net. The Copper Horn. The uh, Copper Horn has been added as an item which is crafted using three copper ingots in a V-shape with a goat horn in the middle. You can play three different sounds by looking up, looking straight ahead, and crouching. Added special sounds for Copper Horns crafted from goat horns um, found from screaming goats. 
The goat horn is added uh, with the goat horn sounds uh, being random per goat. Added special sounds for the screaming goat again for this version. It's always dropped when a goat with at least one horn rams these blocks. Stone, packed ice, iron ore, copper ore, emerald ore, or any kind of wood log from the overworld. Can be crafted into a copper horn. Goats have a small chance to spawn with only one horn. Baby goats will always end up with two horns. Pillager outposts can now have goat horns and copper horns in loot chests. A variety of gameplay tweaks and bug fixes can also be found in the changelog article at feedback.minecraft.net. So first up, pillager outpost loot immediately gets better, which is great because it's been bad for a while. <laughs> I don't want to raid a pillager outpost and only find three arrows, an apple, and a dark oak sapling, or whatever it is they have. <laughs> like, it's it's nice to know that they're starting to put some more unique items up there. And kind of like Suspicious Stew, I guess, because the goat horns have so many different sounds and whatnot, then it's going to be like sort of random which one you get from a pillager outpost, I presume. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to to add that element of randomness into what the pillager loot horns are going to sound like. I'm really curious about this, and I won't get too far into it because we do have an email later on regarding the the copper horns. Um, but uh, I watched an Exumavoid video where he went through the different sounds, and um, it's a lot. Like I yeah. was like, <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be like a like a single note, you know, like a, the foghorn kind of deal. But like, it's a whole song. Yeah, uh, like they're very versatile. It's it's yeah. very surprising to me. And uh, from what I've seen, uh, King B Dogs clarified this on Twitter when asked that it was the the goat horn is really meant to be more of a social feature than a um the, the, than like a functional thing that you'd use for for other survival gameplay. So it's much more about like if you can get the same horn for every player on your team on like a server where it's more of like a factions based thing and there's pvp then you can all sound the same horn as you raid somebody's base or you can get all different horns and just create this like cacophony of sound as you rush in to storm the enemy camp or something like that i like the idea of it being more of a social feature it means i'll get less out of it as somebody who primarily plays single player but the fact that they've added this level of diversity to it is is really quite fun. I, I I gotta say I'm having fun just seeing what people are discovering about these. I wonder too, um, because with all the different um, Minecraft expansions that have come out in the last few years, with the addition of different music and stuff, and I feel like um, because we know that the team is expanding, I'm just wondering how much of this is just like now we've got the time you know, to do stuff like this. That's just fun for the sake of being fun. It doesn't necessarily have to have a function, you mm -hmm. know, attached to it. Um, and I like it. I think, I think it adds a lot of personality. It's, I mean, as, as weird as it was when I heard the sounds, it's like, that is strange. It's also very Minecraft, but it's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> but it's mm -hmm. strange, you know, uh, there's a good balance there. Um, have you had any time to mess around with the the new blocks in the snapshot? The one yeah, blocks? yeah. So so the Java snapshot I dove right into, and I I made a video about it, and I just wanted to get my hands on some of that because I heard mangrove wood was being added, and after they had had so many sort of points of feedback from from the community about the color of mangrove wood following Minecraft Live. I was interested to see how it had changed because it seemed like it was going to change. They'd, I, I'd seen a couple of folks posting, the, the de developers posting screenshots of like, here are all of the wood items in Minecraft. And there was like a little hint you could see through a, a trap door somewhere. There was like a slightly different wood color that didn't look like the mangrove we'd seen before. And I really like it. I, I like the, the color that they've gone with and... 
it's darker than we expected it to be. Previously, it was kind of a middle ground between Acacia and Jungle. Now it's more of a middle ground between Acacia and Crimson. Um, it's it's a kind of still a fairly natural feeling red wood color and fairly accurate from what I've seen to the color that's just underneath the bark of a mangrove tree um, before you get down into the lighter wood in the in the center. But I think they've they've done a pretty decent job with it. How do you feel about mangrove? I didn't spend a lot of time with it, uh, just that creative snapshot stream on Sunday, and I like it, and I did struggle with it, though, as I was trying to make it work with things. I mean, it does, like you said, work as like a, a darker block when compared to something like acacia wood, or even uh, goes well with like a smooth sandstone, a smooth red sandstone, excuse me. Um, also, I did find it went very well alongside of red nether brick. Mm -hmm. uh, I struggled to find it working well with crimson wood but i feel like that could just be my dislike of crimson wood and <laughs> the artist in me shaking my fist going this isn't crimson the yeah, it, mangrove it's so the, purple <laughs> the mangrove wood is crimson <laughs> compared to the crimson wood so there's that um i like the trapdoors and the trapdoors have a really unique little um highlight on the side of them it's almost pink mm -hmm. uh it has a, a a neat look to it i like the fact that they're round like it's nice to have another trapdoor yes. that has a hole in it so like it's if like you want to portholes on a ship or something right like yeah yeah I, the the one thing that i think i took away from the mangrove wood which i found very frustrating to work with was that it's the same tone or close enough in tone to dark oak and spruce that even though it's a different color it all kind of looks muddy to me uh -huh. and so it it for me for it to work well with all the other woods it has to either get maybe a little bit brighter or lighter or something i don't know whether it has to be increased in saturation but i did find it hard to try and work with it with other woods and then have it stand out unless you were using it as an accent block versus if you were using it as like the main roofing material or something like that mm -hmm. um now to flip back to the the mangrove wood the actual um the bark covered i like that a lot yeah. I think that works in a lot of different ways. It's cool to have another log-like jungle, which I think we've mentioned before, that the the bark grain goes horizontally as opposed to vertically. Yes. Um, you can still get it to do that. You just have to place it the right way, and that's fine. Um, and so I like that. Uh, it, I do find that you run into the same issues with acacia logs that you do with mangrove logs now, that if you don't like the red or if that's not your goal, then you have to go with the all over bark block, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the wood block. I get confused too. Um, yeah. I just, I always call them all over bark blocks and I've just fallen mm -hmm. into that habit. Um, but there are ways that you could still do it. Like you could put you know, trap doors on the end of it. You could you could hide it in a number of ways. Maybe you want a little bit of that red showing through, you know. Maybe you can use a different trap door, that kind of stuff. Um, jungle trap doors would kind of be a fun match. I did find that it looked good with jungle wood as well. Um, so there's stuff like that that was kind of uh kind of cool. Um, but uh the the yeah, the mangrove bark blocks I thought were were the runaway star for mangrove for me. Yeah, it's funny, you've got the same issue with those that you have with acacia wood, where the bark is so different from the internal wood colour. Yeah. That, like, in, in the right circumstances, you can use that to great effect, but other times it's just going to stand out and you need to you need to conceal it. So thank goodness we have the six-sided bark option now. 
Um, I love the roots. I think the roots is a really clever thing because for a start, they look kind of like dead leaves. If you put the mangrove leaf and the mangrove root side by side, not a whole lot of difference between the two. They both got transparency. They both got a kind of vertical stripe to them. I think it makes a lot of sense to use them that way. And you could maybe have that be either like leaves that have died on the on the branch, or you could have that be something that gets used for, you know, a bit more decorative purpose. Like I I started lining up the root blocks in more of a wall kind of formation and thought, well, this could very easily be like a fence made of like sticks tied together just kind of around some sort of relatively primitive encampment. You know, you can you can set up stick fences like that around all kinds of stuff like campsites or whatever. Like there's there's definitely options to use those. And you could mix in a couple of the mangrove leaves as though some of the sticks still have leaves on the the branches that they just haven't bothered to strip off as they've been making a fence like that. There's there's definitely some some really neat ways of using those and you've even got the option of muddy roots as well which i think blends them with the terrain so much better than already any other type of tree out there i like them i only know uh, like my only experience with them is watching them in your video because i didn't get a chance to, to mess with them in mm. mine i mess with mud but not the mud um mangrove roots uh, yeah. i like that idea i like the idea of putting the mud the, sorry the mangrove roots in like a bush formation but in the desert yeah yeah, exactly. You know, like dead, dead bush, you know, um, or uh, in a snowy biome. If you want to have like um, a, a like a non evergreen, you know, um, situation where the leaves have fallen off your bushes for the winter, like that could be useful too. Yeah, exactly. Like there's there's a lot of different applications for them, and taken out of context, they can look like a lot of different stuff. And I think that's one of the strengths of this whole mangrove palette i mean the the logs and the roots and stuff specifically but the other some of the other stuff that's being added around it is it has that thing i look for in minecraft textures which are you know can this be simulating something else and that is the the thing i pointed out in my video the problem i have with birch logs a lot of the time is they i have a hard time seeing them as anything other than a birch tree Whereas with Mangrove, you can already see a few different options for how you could use the texture of it in various different ways. I've already seen a lot of people saying that the end texture of a Mangrove log looks like a rare steak, where it's seared around the outside but still pink in the middle. And I'm not sure how many restaurant builds we're going to see using that, you know, the meter-long steak. But um, yeah, there's there's certainly stuff like that that, that pops up. Um, I found the doors really cool from the mangrove wood palette before we get too far away from that. I think the trap doors are fantastic, but I think the doors look fancier than most of the other doors that we've got so far. I can see them being like a really nice entrance to a billiard room in like a big country mansion build or something like that. So yeah, I, I, I think double doors in the mangrove wood especially look very, very nice. And I, I can see myself using those probably more than I should once uh, once we get that. I think I prefer doors in Minecraft to not have windows in them as well. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. I prefer the the solid look because uh, they feel more secure, I think, in that way, right? And it, it also but, sort of makes more sense for the crafting recipe as well because it's not including any glass or anything in it. And so, right. yeah, like to, to assume that that is a solid surface, you've got to assume that there are glass panes embedded in it somehow, which uh, in the crafting recipe there are not. But yeah, nice to have another solid door and, and a really good implementation of it, especially after I think a lot of people don't really like crimson doors all that much. They don't really see those as particularly yeah. usable. The the mangrove one, yeah, can definitely see that going really well with like plush green on an interior. Like can can definitely see that happening 
pretty well. Santa's Workshop, stuff like that. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so as far as mud goes, mud is a much more diverse block than I was expecting in terms of its aesthetic. Um, one of the best uses I saw for it was people using the muddy roots block that you said you didn't end up getting to. But it's got the roots, the sort of stripes of the roots of the regular root block, along with the bluish color of the mud. I saw people using that as like a decayed melon in a patch, like a, a melon has just gone moldy on the vine. Um, and, and they had that next to a regular melon, and the, it's surprisingly close. Like, it's clearly not just a retextured melon, but they've they've got, like, similar stripes going on, and uh, replacing the stalk with a wither rose, kind of implying that the whole thing had gone rotten. It was kind of a, um, a neat use of it. But mud is really blue, which I sort of wasn't expecting, but I think creates a really nice contrast with the, the mangrove logs, the... the leaf color and the color of the wood as well it's it's turning the biome into something a little bit more colorful than it originally had promised to be i think and as someone that has hiked around through a couple of swamps um i know that real mud in the wild not like mud on the street corner which is usually brown but mm -hmm. like when you're out in the woods mud is is like greenish black like it's yeah really dense stuff um but I do find it difficult when there's a, a, a distinct color hue. Specifically, I find a lot of stuff is skewing purple and blue lately mm -hmm. with yeah. new Minecraft blocks. And I do find that harder to work with because a lot of the things that you want to work with, mud, like dirt, grass, leaves, are all green, you know, or or have more brown or warms to them, like, um, like dirt blocks and coarse dirt and stuff like that. So then the blue really stands out. Um, it can be made to work. And I ended up using the mud block in doing a gradient transition from deep slate to skulk blocks, which was not easy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I various degrees of success or failure, depending on your opinion. But um, it, the mud block does actually work with uh, deep slate quite well, despite the fact that it is blue. You kind of have to use it sparingly. I say bluish. It's not blue, but, you know, it has a blue tint. Um, and so but deep slate is still pretty neutral. Uh, but and then mud next to things like blackstone, they feel like it's it's a, it's much lighter, but blackstone has more purple to it, so it doesn't quite fit. Um, but yeah, like it just it's something that I'm be I'm kind of holding my opinion on because like I like it, and it's a nice dark block that's not black, right? Like it's definitely in between your like coal blocks, your your um your black stones and your deep slates so it's darker than deep slate which is cool and might be quite useful the only thing is like is it going to read as mud a lot of the time or like as you said with the mangrove woods like are you able to use it in other ways and because you put it in a wall are people's brains going to look at it as like a brick as opposed yeah. to in the ground when people are going to look at it like mud i mean you're going to think about it like mud when you step on it because it makes a really fun squish noise <laughs> yes um, yeah the sound design for that is a lot better than i think the sound design for the mud bricks ended up being oh. like I, f I find that noise pretty grating and <laughs> from your reaction i gather you do as well it was it was like a brown note in my in my minecraft like i, I you know that stuff in sci-fi right now where they just kind of go for like uh -huh. no apparent reason just every 10 minutes just this deep rumble foghorn and it like to me whenever i placed a a block in in a, a mud brick block a mud, no packed mud it's the packed mud that yeah. has the weird sound the packed mud block in the snapshot <laughs> Every time I placed it, I felt it in like my sternum. I was like, "Whoa, yeah, <laughs> it's it's weird." Like, what? You're you're an audio guy. Like, what what is the? Is it like? Is it the resonance? Is it the is it the bass that they've added that seems weird? 
I think it's treble. I think it's it's too short oh. and harsh, and it's got like a high frequency thing that kind of feels like you've been punched in the ears. Um, huh. And and I think what what it sounds like to me is like a condensed, sped up version of the grass breaking noise. You know how like harsh that can sound when you're breaking a yeah. lot of grass compared to breaking dirt. I think it's that, and I think. While that makes sense for a noise for packed mud to use because it's all kind of dry and, and like a little bit crackly, and they've already had so many things like basalt and deep slate have that sort of dry hiss to them when you break them, I think mud, it's too percussive, it's too sudden uh, with, with the packed mud. I think it, it just needs like a little bit of extra work to it and maybe like a slightly longer sound or one that dials back the treble a little bit for me is is how i'd huh. i'd put it but yeah it, it may also be the 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 type of headphones we're listening on and stuff can change the way that stuff sounds True. so your, your mileage may vary on that but I, I do think for me it's it's a very kind of like sharp percussive noise that i can't see myself using a whole lot of this stuff if it's going to be making that noise constantly well, I mean, thankfully you can change that. Um, I, I know what you mean about the grass block. I've actually removed it. My grass sounds like dirt mm -hmm. when you break it now, uh, yeah. which translates to other blocks also sounding like dirt, like hay bales. They sound like dirt when you break them. Um, but that reminds me of what I think is very cool about the packed mud, and that's the crafting recipe. Yeah, yeah. Put, putting wheat and mud together. I actually had to look that up in the crafting table like recipe book because i was like how do you make this and yeah apparently i had a, a bunch of people chime in uh, in my comment section telling me that that's how you know traditional mud you know get, gets gets turned into a, a building material it's reinforced with like you know wheat stalks or corn or whatever kind of you know fiber can be added to it to give it some solidity and and give it like a framework effectively to 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 have pack the mud around so it's cool that the you know traditional building methods are being taken into account and also gives people an excuse to make a big wheat farm if they want to make more of this stuff which is a really interesting implementation of it rather than just you know another thing that we smelt in a furnace to dry it out right it, it makes a bit mm. more sense for it to be uh yeah to, to be treated that way what do you think about the um the skulk blocks like like you did you try to build with any of those i've done a bit of building with them before because they've been in previous snapshots right uh, I, I even ended up um after we saw the look of ancient cities at minecraft live i tried rebuilding those in um with deep slate bricks and everything like that and then used a texture pack to put all of the skulk blocks in um and then since we've had them in bedrock first and then in java i was building with them a little bit but the thing that impresses me about them is the rework of the deep dark as a biome or maybe this was the vision they had before but it certainly didn't appear this way in the experimental snapshots where there are huge patches of skulk all over the walls and floor and everything and it actually feels like the skulk has grown over and taken over the biomes unfortunately it's quite difficult to get uh, like a decent screenshot of because a lot of the time it's very dark in there putting in artificial light sources is a little kind of it ruins the effect but exploring that in person and even in areas where there's lava it'll light up an area around that so it feels a bit more natural and man it's so atmospheric it's very very cool looking and it really does feel like an insidious presence in this place um so i i'm i'm more into from this snapshot the experience of encountering it as part of the natural world than i am thinking about building with it quite yet um 
But building with it is going to be a fun challenge, especially when you need to work around the mechanics of stuff like Skulk Catalyst. Because if you put that in the walls of a building, you better not have anything around that it can grow to when you fight mobs, because otherwise you're going to find yourself with a, a carpet of Skulk pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I guess it depends on what blocks it takes over and what you've built with, too. I I messed with it. I, I created a couple of big, like, kind of wallpaper-ish uh, sections of it. And then, like, it's a whole mood uh it looks very cool it's nice to have an animated texture as well yeah yeah um, it kind of twinkles a little bit yeah. yeah i could see this being really fun if you were like doing something like uh decorating your end portal room and yes, you wanted definitely. to create like a void like have a big box and have this kind of stuff far away that you can kind of see what it is but you can't kind of can't like i think it would be really cool um effect wise uh you could layer stuff on top of it like glass change the colors uh it's it's pretty neutral as far as just being black but then it does have kind of like a turquoisey green twinkle to it and uh, i found that when you combine it with the oh i want to say it was the skulk what's the one that harvests the the XP? catalyst catalyst thank you yeah uh that has what looks like kind of like an endstone bottom to it yeah and that looks really good with smooth sandstone and then uh, the stripped warped hyphae, not so much the warped wood because the hyphae and the warped wood don't, they're very different in terms of their tones. Mm -hmm. um, but the the warped hyphae looked really good with it, uh, as did um, the frog lights, depending on which kind of like accent blocks you're using. Yeah. The, the um, ver verdant, verdant, which is the green one, mm -hmm. uh, frog light worked well with the skulk, uh, as did slime blocks uh, and other things like that. So, it, it's it, it's got some potential to have some really creepy cool biome stuff like i i'd love to do like a a, a mushroom island makeover where i turn it into like an alien landscape like total mm -hmm. biome you know remake and having things like what if you used skulk blocks as like the leaves on trees or like anything like that could be really really fun and very alien looking and so i'm looking forward to playing around with that when it eventually makes it into the game yeah, speaking of sandstone, I found sandstone worked really well with mud bricks as well. I think that's going to be a really oh, yeah. cool build yeah. palette to go to when you want to build uh, desert stuff, but working with light and shade a little bit more. Uh, having built a bunch in the desert in Empires, I found that one of the only ways I could really create a, a, a slightly darker texture was to start transitioning into things like oak wood. And I think having another block to go to there, and especially one that has that neat brick texture to it i think is going to work really well for desert builds so i'm i'm looking forward to that i think mud bricks are honestly a pretty decent visual offering right now i just think yeah maybe mm -hmm. some of the the sounds of the mud palette needs to be uh, be worked on a little bit um yeah what else did i want to cover from this um did you play with the frog lights at all frog lights are good yeah and and having seen them a little bit in the bedrock beta previously i i do like them and i think much as i i love the names i think the names are, are really great i'm still just going to be calling them like the yellow one the green one the purple one yeah. right like a pearlescent frog light is is a lovely name for it but it's still just going to be the purple one to me i feel bad um and every, yeah. every time i think pearlescent my brain immediately adds moon afterwards so yeah that's another minecraft community thing that's just never going to be the same for me um directional audio that was the other thing have you tried the direction the 3d directional audio settings and what did you make of them no i haven't and i tried cranking the volume on your youtube video when you got to that point and i could maybe 
make a little bit of a difference because I have a sound bar now on the TV and it's mm-hmm. wide enough that when there was water off to your left or right, I could I could sort of see it, uh, yeah. but I didn't have headphones in at the time. Yeah. Um, I like directional audio in, in video games. Uh, I had a mod. It was an effects mod that added like splashes when you dropped either yourself or items into water mm-hmm. into uh, all of Fabric 5 and it had waterfalls and they were directional so that when you were boating by it would pass by you kind of go around you in a circle depending on how you're traveling and i thought it was really neat it worked very well and i was just using like apple airpod you know not uh, earpod just plug in three three five millimeter jack headphones like nothing fancy and it sounded great um so i i like the idea of 3d audio in minecraft but i didn't experience this particular implementation firsthand Right. So a couple of notes on the way I first experienced it and in, in the video, which I, I need to go back and try again, because what I'm understanding now about 3D directional audio is it's meant to be more of an implementation that allows for verticality to play a part in what you're hearing. Like the normal stereo field, whether it's balanced left or right, is something that exists in traditional stereo audio anyway, is what you know we're used to from, from Minecraft. But it's much more about using the dimensions of your ears to play at certain frequencies and the way the ear hears certain stuff can start to simulate whether something is above or below you a lot better. And so I really need to find some more examples of verticality in that stuff. Apparently people use the 3D directional audio stuff for FPS shooters in competitive games because it's easier to hear whether an enemy is approaching you from like a corridor above or a corridor below. Um, So potentially that's the kind of thing that this works well for. A little bit more difficult to do that in Minecraft when the space is so dynamic and if something is above you, how far above you is it? But I know we've all been in those situations where you're trying to dig towards the noise of a mob because you're you're thinking there's either a cave to find or a spawner to find and you end up digging up, down, left, you know, which way is it? And you're, you're going everywhere but the direction you want to be going. Potentially 3D directional audio is going to help with something like that. So interested in giving that another try there was also a tweet from xylefian one of the devs who pointed out that if the directional audio sounds tinny to you which it definitely did to me it may be because the audio output from your pc is processing it as speaker audio rather than headphone audio and i still haven't tested this i i I think i said i was going to but other stuff you know sidetracked me once i got home and i yeah i want to try that again and see if messing with the settings and having my computer output audio for a different style of device has it correcting stuff that makes a bit of a difference because i may not have got everything out of that feature that they seem to have put into it what do you say we move on to some email Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. This is our Chunk Mail Dispenser episode, so we've got a bunch of email to get through. A couple of quick ones, a couple of longer discussions. Looking forward to getting into it. And if you'd like to email the show, keep them short, keep them sweet, and send them to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. First email this week is from Randomify, the music of Copper Horns. Hello, Pix and Joel. With the new Copper Horns in the latest Java Snapshot, I noticed that each of the horns sound like all of their sounds go together. This makes me hope that you could possibly use them in some way to play their sound with redstone, maybe with dispensers. This could possibly make some very interesting music when used in combination with note blocks. Since the, uh, sorry, since the up and forward versions sounded like different parts, I decided to combine the sounds for each horn. It sounds like they're meant to be played in a specific order 
I've included a link to everything together. And we'll have a link to the YouTube video from Randomify in the show notes. And uh, I would encourage everyone to go and listen to this. Uh, it was very, very cool. The warden was distracted by Randomify's horn orchestra so that he got away safely. Uh, I can only describe this as uh, like layers. So think about when you're listening to the, the copper horns, if you've seen them in videos on their own, when you play, when you face up in the sky, it plays something high. When you play play straight ahead, it looks like or sounds like um, it it's more of a harmony. And then when you um, look, when you squat or crouch, it plays more of a percussion or a bass line. Mm -hmm. And what Randomify, Randomify has done has layered all three and played them at the same time. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a real, it, there's more of a song than just like a melody. And this is the kind of thing that I think you can imagine players, again, getting hold of several horns that play the same thing and then discovering this stuff. I think it's going to be a real revelation to players who are using these, like we said earlier, as a social feature. Um, so props to Randomify for putting in the work, first of all, because obviously yeah. this must have been a lot of editing to do and, you know, sequencing all of that in a, in a, in an audio editing software is is no small task so well done um i yeah i, I think there's there's some really interesting stuff here um i do like the fact that yeah if, if you've got the the upwards facing version it plays a higher thing like you're kind of you're you're playing higher notes the higher up you look which is something i remember trying to do a lot when i was playing the trumpet back in the day when i was learning and just imagining yourself looking higher up to to play higher up um, yeah, I think it, it's got a really cool dynamic to it, and it is very interesting to imagine them as different parts of an overall piece of music. And I do wonder, along with stuff like note blocks, what players are going to be capable of if they can figure out a, a note block contraption that will play at the same speed that they can play along to, all of that stuff. Opens up the options for musical exploration in-game much more than we had before. And the secret lake tier sound from the uh, the video sounds like the cantina band from star wars so <laughs> it does a little bit yeah at the moment that's my favorite which i think is pretty fun uh let's move on to our next email in fact there's two emails here kind of that go in tandem so i'll, I'll read both of these uh right one after the other uh the first one comes in from strawberry jam which is placeholder mechanics in minecraft development hi johnny and joel i was playing this week's snapshot and noticed that frogs love to eat slimes and that slime balls will attract and breed frogs based on what we saw at minecraft live i'm inclined to believe slime is a placeholder for fireflies until those are implemented however frogs also like to eat magma cubes which is used as the mechanic to deliver the frog light i wonder if this is the final mechanic mojang intends to deliver or if the magma cubes might be replaced by another mob or could there be an entirely new mechanic what do you guys think similarly what do you think about placeholder mechanics like these being used in the development cycle thanks for a great show strawberry jam strawberry jam kissed a frog and lived happily ever after well <laughs> good to know you weren't a slime uh the next one comes in from canada raz and the subject is slime chunk finder Hi guys, love listening to you guys every week, and I like hearing ideas from the community and your thoughts on them. One of my dilemmas when it comes to Minecraft is finding a slime chunk without using any external tools like chunk base. I know Johnny was talking about this in his stream also. What if you could use the new frogs to locate these impossible to locate chunks by following a frog the way we follow an eye of ender to locate a stronghold? Or maybe the frogs could have a special croak sound when it's in one of those chunks. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. Thanks and have a great time Minecrafting. Canada Raz has paused the game until feedback on this issue is given. <laughs> That's, you're holding your player experience to ransom at this point. Interesting. <laughs> uh, 
to address the first email, I don't think the frog slime or the magma cube frog-like mechanics are placeholders. I like them. Yeah, uh, no, I, I do as well. I, it's fun. It makes sense in a Minecraft kind of way. And I think that potentially fireflies posed a problem with like, if that's how frogs breed, then you have to find a way for the players to then interact with the fireflies and cause the frogs to bleed to breed. Mm -hmm. So do you put them in a jar? Do you feed the jar to the frog? Did the frog keep the jar, spit out the empty jar? Like, how does that all go? And I, I like the idea of them going after the slimes, especially because they live in the same biome, all that kind of stuff. So I would imagine fireflies might end up being more of an ambient thing than, than something really that the player can interact with. I would prefer um, putting um, lightning bugs or fireflies in a jar and using it as a light source uh, instead of feeding them to frogs. Um, but I, jury's out on what that's going to look like. Um, and I don't mind placeholder mechanics. I'm curious how you feel about this, Johnny. But like for me, when Mojang like mentions stuff that's temporary in an article, like they usually draw attention to it. Uh, or it's pretty obvious. Like, for example, the propagule's not growing a mangrove tree. It grows, grows an oak tree. Obviously not the intention, right? Like that's just Yeah. It it works in the way that it's going to work as a as a sapling, but we just don't get the mangrove tree yet. I'd rather yeah. it do something like that and give me the wrong tree than me sit there and just like spam bone meal at it and nothing happen. Yeah, right. right. Uh, that would be confusing. Um, and I think the nature of the development cycle is to try new things and see what sticks, pardon the pun. And so I feel like with the slimes and the frogs and, and stuff like that uh, and any kind of other thing, I, I think we've probably received some new game mechanics that they were testing out in snapshots. I can't think of an example myself, but then the community was like, no, 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 we like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Do that. And maybe we just don't know because behind the scenes, they had a different mechanic in mind, but they just never got there because everyone just loved the fact that frogs could eat slimes. And so maybe they're, they'll, they'll stick with it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, without that first start, we wouldn't have had the incredible visual of the frog eating a goat, <laughs> which was uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that happened by accident during development and got patched in the the follow ups. But it was very very funny at the time. Um, but yeah, like I I think placeholder mechanics are, are are super fun and and it's fine to see some of that stuff because yeah, like you said, it creates those happy accident moments, those moments where we're like, oh okay, we can yeah, we can actually kind of see that happening and allows players to give feedback on some elements of the process that they really like about those things um and as far as frogs breeding with slime and 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 eating slimes um i think the the breeding part is the only weird thing about that for me because frogs and slimes seem like part of an ecosystem that can exist in swamps together if there are little slimes around the frogs eat them like they both come from the same biome and i think like you said the issue with fireflies was with players being able to interact with them and how you feed them to frogs and while frogs could technically yeah just hop around and eat fireflies does that mean that the whole cloud of fireflies disappears how do you really have one of a bunch of fireflies from a single area disappear and not have the fireflies disappear completely by the time that the players get to them somebody in our live chat uh, wire guy is also pointing out that um somebody mentioned that fireflies are poisonous to frogs which again we we bring up the the cookies being poisonous to parrots discussion once again um so yeah for me i think the um the slime magma cube thing 
makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm fine with it happening and it just being like, oh, it's a fun, wacky Minecraft thing because slimes and magma cubes aren't real creatures, so the frog has to interact with something. And breeding them with slime balls only seems weird to me because we've never traditionally considered slime balls to be food. Uh, whereas most of the other stuff is, like, more traditional food if you're breeding, you know, animals together. Um, then again, I was thinking about it and we're like, we now have honey, which makes similar blocks to slime blocks and is food for players. We also brew potions with magma cream. Um, and if a, f a frog is now going to be eating a small slime, then in a way that's a good way of signposting to the player what type of food it wants so the relative you know the m making it intuitive for the player to discover that frogs are bred by slime balls because the frogs are attempting to eat the actual slime mobs around them i think that actually makes a lot of sense to me in terms of game logic i like the fact that it also provides more gameplay for technical players because you know if you have a magma spawner in a bastion and you bring in some frogs depending on the frogs that you have will result in different frog lights and then you can create like a frog powered auto frog light farm which sounds yeah. like a really fun project you know like just yes. it it's it it takes like the when you see players uh build the same sort of resource farm over and over and over again and they tend to get more creative with like how they're killing mobs or how they're collecting things or how the thing looks because the mechanics are essentially the same but they're just kind of making it more interesting for them and i think having more interesting mechanics like this makes minecraft more fun like you could just have frog lights be crafted out of magma cream and slime balls sure but it's more fun to have the frogs kill the magma cubes right mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely it is and and again you have options there like we've talked about this in the past i think when we were discussing frog lights but you have the bastion magma cube spawner you have a basalt delta those are two different ways you can get hold of the magma cubes do you then bring the magma cubes to the overworld do you bring frogs to the nether there's like a variety of stuff that you can implement mechanically that is, is going to make it much more interesting for players to make those decisions instead of it just being, yeah, like a, a crafting recipe, something that feels a lot more basic. Um, let's move on to Kanda Raza's email about the frog slime chunk connection, because again, that's a, a neat way of tying these two mobs together even further. The frog is seeking out a place where it can go and feed, <laughs> in theory, because it's looking for a slime chunk. Obviously, that you know, I, I think frogs hanging around in swamps makes a great deal of sense because that's, you know, a frog's more natural environment anyway, somewhere that's humid, watery, they can, you know, lay their spawn in the water, that kind of thing. I think frogs helping you find slime chunks makes sense from a, you know, frogs have slime as food perspective, but I'm not certain how a frog is really meant to detect where slimes would spawn in caves from a uh, an immersion standpoint from a from a realism standpoint we're just playing on the idea that frogs and slimes have this pre-existing relationship already i like the idea of the frogs being sort of like grogu from the mandalorian just always hungry for frogs <laughs> uh -huh, or, you know like uh -huh. for, for you know as grogu is so always hungry for slimes in minecraft yeah. and just like being able to like i mean for the lack of a better way to say it use the force to find the, the slimes uh, i like the idea of using a slime frog divining rod <laughs> whether you're <laughs> right. you know, whether you're following it around because we had this idea about the glare like adding more ideas to the to the glare 
uh, an episode or two ago. And I feel like it, it, spreading it out and having more uses for these new animals, I think is really cool, at least potentially. And either following a frog or we have the ability to put uh, axolotls in a bucket and they're about the same size as a frog. Why not be able to pick up a frog in a bucket? And then depending on where you walk, it might croak if you go into a slime chunk. You know, or or croak more the closer you get to a slime chunk. Uh, in Satisfactory, uh, when I play that game, they have a little detector, like a like a tricorder little device, and you can set it to look for different things: food, slugs, um, different items in the game, and it just acts like a Geiger counter. It's like the the Ghostbusters thing where like you move around the room and as you face a certain direction it just beeps more frequently when you point Mm -hmm. towards what you're looking for it would be really funny to be walking around with a bucket of frog and um use it like a compass uh, a frumpus for the lack of a better (laughs) word uh and and have it croak more like if you point north and it does nothing but then you point southwest and it kind of starts croaking you're like oh maybe i should go that way and it doesn't have to be like a, like a dead ringer for like this is the exact block you have to be on but just to kind of point the player in general i don't know how you communicate that to the player in game other than like an achievement that says use a frog to find a slime chunk you know mm-hmm. like I, you know i don't know how to do that without getting like minecraft wiki about it but i like the idea of using the frogs in that way yeah i think it, it depends whether or not the mechanic becomes another one of those esoteric things that is not immediately evident to players until it's pointed out to them by somebody who knows better yeah uh third email this week is from l101 hostile mobs in peaceful minecraft hi johnny and joel i was listening to episode 184 and i was thinking about progression in peaceful minecraft what if there was a setting toggle where you could turn mob hostility off this would mean that you could still progress through the game and defeat the ender dragon but not have to worry about getting killed by dangerous mobs as they would still exist by simply not attacking you what do you think about this thanks for the great podcast l101 survived in the caves happily ever after because they didn't have to worry about creepers uh, this exists, uh, at least in some forms, data packs. Uh, I may be wrong about going full quiet on hostile mobs, but I know that you can get a data pack to quell Enderman griefing, I mean they don't pick up blocks because we've got that on the Citadel. Uh, we discussed having the creepers blast damage to players be zero, but have it still blow up blocks. I don't know if that was something we could di- differentiate or whether you could have the blast from a creeper be nothing, but then it wouldn't destroy any builds. And we decided that kind of takes the whole idea of a creeper out of the game. You might as well just mm-hmm. delete them at that point, other than the fact that you want gunpowder from them. So um, we decided to leave that in because we're playing a survival playthrough. But if if you look hard enough online, I'm sure that there are ways either with individual data packs or with one that just says, look, the mobs are going to exist. You're going to be able to get your bones from your bone farms. You're going to be able to get your redstone from your witches, but they're not going to attack you. I would argue it might make the ender dragon fight a little bit easy because there's going to be no endermen attacking you. They'll just be standing around doing nothing. Um, but I, I, th- I'm sure that there's a way to play survival, which is what you would do. You'd load up a survival game and then use um, data packs to add nice hostile mobs not so hostile just nice mobs <laughs> yeah. is what you would get friendly yeah. skeletons <laughs> it could work and yeah i i can see that being a a decent option i think there being a vanilla toggle for it seems a little bit unlikely i think um much as i i like the idea i think also part of the problem part of the reason people end up playing on peaceful is also 
like sometimes they're disturbed by the appearance of some of the hostile mobs in the game i, I definitely know some arachnophobes who would be a lot happier if there weren't spiders so mm. yeah i do kind of wonder where the line gets drawn with that stuff and i think it's honestly more valuable to provide alternate ways of getting hold of some of those resources that are provided by you know creepers blazes i think is the main one because that's really what gates your progression to the end and everything else um but getting blaze powder just like a couple of pieces of blaze powder in a nether fortress chest or in a bastion loot chest or something like that maybe um and that way you could still i mean yeah you'd still you'd still end up getting potion brewing out of that but i i do wonder if you provide it in limited supply does that still provide a balanced experience for players finding it in chests compared to getting a renewable supply and knowing exactly where to find it if you get it from blazes themselves i think it's just probably better as far as the overall gameplay style of peaceful that you end up killing as few things as possible in theory i i, I suppose you're still going to be maybe slaughtering animals for food and that kind of thing but if you um if you want to eliminate hostile mobs entirely then just having them be sort of loose things that walk around still but don't do anything to you sort of eliminates the need for having them i think data packing in some some things that allow you to get those resources without then being a need for hostile mobs to be present at all seems like a better proposition to me than just to turn off hostile mob ai and not have them attack you yeah and it and if you wanted to go like the other direction too, you could like change them into something completely different. Like just have the, instead of the skeletons walking around to your point about people not liking the look of some of them, like some younger players might find zombies scary, turn them into giant pink bunny rabbits. I don't know. Like just, you know, <laughs> and then I mean, tell them to kill them for rotten flesh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that might be a little bit too five night at Freddy's, but a you, little bit, you're like, yeah. you, you know what I mean though? Like turn them into something else. And that could be like a, a, an opportunity to, um, again with data packs if you could find something similar to how chickens walk around and laying eggs you know like maybe your skeletons will walk around and just like be like the arrow fairy and just once in a while just like drop a, an arrow or something on the ground so that you yeah. can passively collect things without having to actually kill them maybe maybe seems like a, a possibility uh data pack makers get on it um, this last email comes in from McScrewgun, and the subject is consuming news in a timely fashion. Good afternoon, Joel and Pix. Bit presumptuous of you. Is it the afternoon in Canada by now? I think it is, right? Um, 15 minutes. <laughs> there you go. Um, I have listened to all of your podcasts on the Spawn Chunks, but I tend to let myself lag behind by roughly a month or so. I like to experience new things in Minecraft firsthand, along with my kids with whom I play. Do you ever find yourselves missing or regretting not knowing about upcoming Minecraft features due to your podcast and streaming lives? Cheers. Screwy died falling from a great height, yelling Duggan all the way down. For context, uh, McScrewgun is a regular in my streams and uh, the meme has arisen that he is both exclaimed and blamed whenever I fall off of something, which happens a lot. <laughs> there you uh, go. No, all of the faults in your scaffolding are uh, yeah, McScrewgun's fault. Yeah. So like if I fall off something and he shows up in stream, I'm like, are you, were your ears burning? Like <laughs> what, what just happened? That's um, great. Also a month behind slacker. Uh, <laughs> But in all serious, um, I don't have any regrets as far as finding out stuff ahead of time with the podcast, only because I like doing the podcast and talking with Johnny about this stuff so much. Uh, I do find I have to get used to changing my tune about things, though, because looking at something and reading about something in a snapshot, maybe watching a video uh, about it on YouTube and then talking about it on the show 
I will have opinions, but I'm very likely going to change those opinions. Deep Slate's a really good example. Didn't like it at all at first. And I use it all the time now, you know, mm-hmm. um, with time in game and and real play in Minecraft and some real thought that happens over time, which you can't do in like the four days between a snapshot coming out on Wednesday and us doing a show on Monday. Uh, I do find I have to change my tune a lot. And so I've had to swallow my pride sometimes and be like, yeah, I've changed my mind. I didn't you're like it before. I like it now. You're still coming around on Blackstone, though. <laughs> yeah, slow. I don't know. Give it, I, give it time. Give it time. Yeah, give it the right time to, in the right build. I still have to return to that Blackstone build in the Nether that I did, and mm-hmm. now that I have Deep Slate to go along with it, like I might be able to like create something else with it. There you go. I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I mean, there's mud blocks now, there's skulk now, like there's a bunch of stuff that I might be able to to, to use to make that feel a little bit nicer. Um, I still have the same level of surprise when something is added to the game in the snapshot, and I then get to talk with Johnny about it on the show. So it's still exciting for me. Not as exciting as stumbling upon it the first time I load up Minecraft after an update, but I I still feel like I have that level of of surprise. I shouldn't say it's not as exciting. I feel like it's about the same. Um, yeah, see, I just changed. I just changed my mind right there. <laughs> um, I do find that I forget about stuff though. So because we've talked about it on the show, perhaps weeks on end in in, in snapshot you know news segments, then it's added to the game, and I'm focused on something like um the skulk blocks or whatever um i like somebody in my chat today had to mention to me hey did you try the mud bricks i'm just like oh yeah that's a thing <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so i find that because we talk about it so much leading up to its release i don't think about it as new when it's released i think about it as new when we talk about it on the show yeah you find that yeah, no, I do, I do the same, and I normally go into snapshots right away to look at stuff. I try to keep on top of features because I need to know a decent amount about them before I can make a tutorial about them, which is really my bread and butter. And frankly, right. I'd rather know than not know at that point. But the surprise for me comes when we actually get hands-on experience of it in snapshots, which is still maybe like, yeah, a few months ahead of what the final release of something is. But by then I have a better idea of how I want to use it and I find planning ahead more useful than being surprised by stuff and then going, well, what on earth am I doing with this and already having other stuff in mind? Um, Obviously, in the case of features like The Warden, I think those are a must to experience firsthand. And I'm hoping that some of the stuff that I make, if, if I make videos about it and people watch them, is still not going to deter them from trying it themselves because I still think the feeling of being in the game, interacting with this stuff for the first time, feels very different to just talking about it on the podcast. And so not knowing about upcoming Minecraft features doesn't necessarily factor into my my worldview on these things. I think even with other games that I play a bit more casually, if I end up hearing about an update, like I'm more interested in knowing what the update is, that way I can get absolutely everything possible out of it. And I don't tend to consider features for a game or like vague ideas about the game necessarily spoilery i i find that plot details and that kind of stuff is much more what i'd consider a spoiler and even those things are like you know i i'm more interested in how people achieve that stuff in the context of the game than i am in knowing what the exact story beat is so i i, I think honestly it's makes a lot more sense to me knowing about these features beforehand because that sense of discovery still exists. It just exists with a bit more knowledge backing it up in the first place. 
I will say that the one thing that I will avoid is perhaps watching a ream of redstone videos, you know, a mm -hmm. ream of, of, of contraption designs where I might want to mess with the new skulk sensors myself and figure something out and see what I can come up with on my own before I go and look up a tutorial. If I get stuck or yeah. if I want something more compact or, or if I, or if I can't figure it out, like if I'm like really like jammed on something. Um, and, and to the, to McScrugan's point, like, I think it's great uh, that you've got that that cool bond with your your kids that you can then be wowed at the same time and I feel that with like you said with plots and films or new experiences there's lots of things that I experience on my own streaming or on my own playing Xbox that I kind of wish I had like a couch gaming buddy for like something cool to happen go oh wow that was amazing instead I got to take a video and send it to a friend yeah. so like stuff like that is 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 something that I think um, would probably fuel you know, if I wasn't doing the podcast, I think that if I was playing with, you know, Minecraft with friends, I might not be quite on the cutting edge of, of that kind of stuff. Or, you know, in the same way that we on the server dial back our exploration coming up to a, a release of a new version so that we don't have to load the chunks. In a way, it's also kind of like um, quelling our, our quest to like explore the world. And so like when you can kind of like lift that like agreed upon mandate hey for the next month or so let's not explore thousands of blocks then when you can you're going to experience all this new stuff so terrain gen actually despite knowing all what was coming with 118 that was great because you, you don't it's so random you don't know exactly what you're going to get like what your mountain is going to be next to is it going to be next to a jungle is going to be next to an ice biome like what's going to happen and so that stuff i still find rewarding in game that doesn't get really really spoiled for me um the one time i i think spoilers come into it for me for games in general in terms of news and and watching people play are things like um a core keeper that i mentioned on the render distance last week and I don't want to watch gameplay for that. I feel like I'm if I'm going to play that, I want to make sure I can play it and figure it out on my own. I feel like watching someone do it the first half an hour of gameplay, I'm probably going to get just a little bit too like, I'm just going to do what they do. Like, I'd rather see how the game works. Is it a good game design? Do I find it satisfying? Am I being satisfied by the puzzle solving I'm doing? That kind of stuff. It's not plot related, but before I start watching other videos, I did want to mess around a bit and I had someone play with me my first time in Minecraft. Steven, friend of mine, um, played with me and it was nice because he, as another adult my age, didn't like handhold. He waited for me to ask a question and then explain what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so I found that that was a really good experience. Like I was exploring and discovering new things, mostly holes in the ground. <laughs> Funny that McScrugan is the one that wrote in because, yeah, I fell a lot in my first few days in Minecraft. But um, that, that kind of stuff I think was more fun for me because I just didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to McScrewgun weighing in on this conversation in about a, a month and a half, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> um, but for now, that's where we're going to leave this episode of The Spawn Chunks to give him time to catch up. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community there gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and you can participate in things like live show recordings where we have a bunch of people listening to us as we record the show and our monthly minecraft audio hangout which as we mentioned is coming up this saturday uh we're currently at 334 patrons which is up one from last week thank you everyone who's hopped on board recently and special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online is at joelduggan.com. That includes my illustration and design portfolio. You can listen to the Siddle Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This week or the next episode, whenever that happens, I'm going to be talking about Dune because I have access to that now in Canada. I've been watching that. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, usually from the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but man those mangroves, though. <laughs>